<laughs> like, I remember my mum said, visualize lines out the door. And I'm like, that would have been a dream. And like, at one point, it was actually a nightmare. Because like, how do, we, how do we cope with this? Um, but it was the best thing ever. And we were having such a great time. And people were loving it. And it, was, it, was, it was getting good reviews and things. Most talked about restaurant in Australia for three months in a row. And then we got told to close. Hey, I'm Matt Levinson, and I'm in absolute awe of the simple and effective way my guest today has gone about creating opportunities for new migrants and refugees to work. In the process, Sean Christie David has created some of Sydney's best places to eat. Yep, making opportunities for asylum seekers, new migrants, Aboriginal people, people who've dealt with addiction, people in a range of marginalised communities, and doing it in the infamously precarious world of running restaurants. It's pretty extraordinary. And yet, despite all knowing all of that, it was a chance conversation one night at Jolene's, the bar in the CBD, that really piqued my curiosity. I just had to know more about what made Sean tick. That's what this podcast is about, talking to great people, people whose work you really admire, and getting, you know, getting below the surface and getting to know what makes them tick, what makes them work, how they got to the place that they're at and, and doing the things that they're doing now. Sean, thank you so much for saying yes to doing this. No, thanks. I thought it was like four beers at, at Joel Lynn's. I'm like, oh, I'll never hear from him again. I'm like, oh, thanks. It's, um, I just started this conversation with you chatting over the bar there. Yep. And I just started to hear all of these things coming through in the story. And I just knew it was going to make for a good conversation. So let's start. Let's start at the start. Yep. You know, you are the picture of, you know, a really self-assured business leader you know in that startup style you know t-shirt trainers but I've seen you in some serious business settings where you just you know you're very confident moving in those circles and you've achieved an incredible amount in what from the outside seems like an incredibly short period with Colombo Social and this burgeoning food services empire that you've got um, growing here this conversation is really uh, we're going to talk a lot about that going to go into detail but I want to step right back from that I want to understand how that person came to be. Thinking about your parents, your grandparents, um, maybe even further. When you hear yourself described in this way, do you see elements of, you know, those earlier generations in that kind of description? I firstly feel imposter syndrome every time someone says stuff. But no, it definitely is. I suppose that the the reason why everything exists and the reason why we have started what we've started is is because of my mum and because of my upbringing. Uh, We are Tamil Sri Lankan, and I was born here, which has a deep and profound effect on the way that you operate as an individual, and the individual is part of a bigger society that I suppose isn't represented by me because they never had the opportunities that I had, and they never got to have that, and that's why we exist, is to give people the opportunities that are worthy, that are incredible that are talented that are smart and, and, and brave but just never got it because of a birth lottery that they probably didn't win and, and, and I was lucky enough to win which I suppose sat with guilt for years and years and years um, and then it finally turned into action but my mum was the one who continually told us that we're, we're not special we're lucky we've got a privilege that not many people in the world get not only people from Sri Lanka living here or Lebanon or, 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 or Asia or, or, the, or Africa or wherever, wherever your background is, but most people in the world don't get the opportunities that you get in Sydney, Australia. It's probably one of the greatest cities in the world, if not the... And that ability to be safe, free, food, everything is, is, is something that you should be able to look to pass on to people that, that didn't get it. Your mum's name is Shirani, right? Shirani, yeah. Shirani, yeah, sorry yeah. for the pronunciation. Yeah. Um, I must have grated on you when you were a kid hearing that stuff, though. Yeah, you, I mean, you, you, the, first, the, the first generation migrant or that third culture is always challenging and complex, and it always will be. I think it always is. But, yeah, you don't re- I never realised it until I went back at the age of 28. That was the first time I realised how, 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 how what my mum was saying was true and how it 
was because she was seeing it from the lens that I've been there, I've lived there, I've been, I've experienced it. Now I know what I've got. Um, but you don't know what you've got till you kind of go out there and go. Do you take this lens? And you're like, oh shit, that is the reality of of what life was like back there. And the people that live there look exactly like you. The people that are there or your family or your cousins or, or whatever it is, and they've they've got a different life to you. And you realise that, that I don't know if it's a sliding door moment or whatever you want to call it, but that could have been us, but it's not. And it only hit me it hit me late. It hit me late. What made them make that move to to Australia? The, the the life that they would have had in Sri Lanka would have been vastly different. The war was kicking off. Um, the the environment was different. My parents spent a lot of time in Saudi Arabia, so they went to Saudi and kind of had had a life there, and were on that verge of moving back to Sri Lanka and they're like this is not a good place to go however it's not a good place to raise kids in Saudi Arabia with the inability to walk down the street by my mum by herself with kids it was was unbelievable my dad was working 20 hours a day there and and, and they just couldn't go to the hospital without having a male accompaniment It 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 was pretty pretty dire so then they said where did we move my aunt had moved to Australia and she's like this country is you, you got to like, I was like, nah, that's not true. There's no such thing as this place that that has all this stuff. And they took the chance and, and were lucky enough to, to to be to be able to move out here. And yeah, it's it, it's it's the best thing that they could have ever done. Were you born straight away? Were you straight off? I was I was about a year and a bit in. Yep, yep. So my brother, my oldest brother, was born in Sri Lanka. My middle brother was born in Saudi Arabia, and I and I was born here. Yeah. Well, um, food is going to be a big part of this conversation yeah. and I want to like get a sense for what food was like as part of your family way back then, growing up as a you know, toddler, a kid just about to go off to school. Yeah. How, how much of a part did that play in your, the way your family worked? Yeah. When we first, when my mum, we were in Fairfield at the time and Fairfield was quite, quite diverse, but there was still a lot of Australian kind of, cultures there Germans Australians um, and my mum was the first kind of subcontinental person to move into the, to the street so she would start cooking and the neighbours would be like what is this and back then when we were five or six the food was so spicy you know mum would have to tone it down a lot and things like that and when people came over when people would come over yeah exactly and and then they started to embrace it so you could you could see a real shift I was actually reflecting on this the other day when we started to talk about the concept of fusion food and, 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 and the evolution of food in, in, in what a first generation goes through and, and their two two worlds. And mum mum would read Women's Weekly and Women's Day and get all the recipes from there and then put her twist on it with the Sri Lankan lens. It was it was it was unbelievable how the fusion kind of elements we grew up with because mum wanted to kind of take something that she was seeing with all her mates because she would go and sit to have food with all her friends somewhere and she was like oh that was interesting and come and try and recreate it at home or on the magazines so yeah what were some we, highlights of that spaghetti spaghetti we, we had this most like spaghetti and lasagna was always like super spicy it was like you would have chili flakes and you'd have curry powder and you'd have all these things. Through your chicken. We didn't realise that spaghetti was just tomato sauce till we were like I went out to an Italian restaurant for the first time like this isn't spaghetti like no this is forgetting what you're having, isn't it? Oh yeah, um, things like that. But yeah, it was it was always had a, it was always had her spin on it, which is which is great. But again, the the food we received was unbelievable. And you don't again only with the context that you have as a, as an adult or going through other things, do you realise how lucky we were to have mum as one of the best cooks I've ever had. What about the social aspect? You know, like. A lot of our restaurant culture here, a lot of the way we eat is yep. this kind of, you know, plated up for one, yep. the master chef type thing. Yep. Your restaurants are, you know, they're billed as social. That's in the name. Yep. How much was the kind of the interaction of food and social culture yep. um, part of that? Tell me, talk yep. to me about that. Yep. that. That feels really different and really important here. Yeah. Growing up, we would all be on different schedules. So my brothers were a little bit older. Uh, one of my brothers is, is six years older. Um, the other was about four and... and I, I reflect those really as this adult kind of experience when we're all kind of a bit older and my mum would come and sit down with all of us no matter what time we get home my dad would get home and finish it like he'd finish work and probably eat a bit earlier than us and then everybody would have different different times but mum would eat something or drink, have a cup of tea and sit down with us and I always wondered what, what, and then she was like you never each eat. of you individually individually or if we were together it, it, but there was no there was no one time where I sat down by myself and ate by myself 
I'm, whenever that's watch TV, we're always sitting around. And mum always said, you never eat alone. You never eat by yourself. It's not how you do this. It's just, it's, she would always share something with us or be there with us. Um, and that really resonated again with, with this concept of what does food mean? And food, food means togetherness. Food means sharing stories and sharing how you, it might be as simple as how was your day, but that would lead into a conversation. And there was never, again, this, this concept of a steak and chips or a pie or what, this, this weird, this is my meal, this is my dish, this is for me. That's never existed in our culture. There's never, like, we would have a rice, like two different types of meat, curry. We'd have a dal, a salad, like six or seven different like little accompaniments and sambols and all these things. And we'd have like 10 dishes created and put on a, on a table and you just kind of dig in. That's how we've grown up always. And th- th- yeah, it's so strange to not, that people don't do that. There's something so fundamentally social about that yep. kind of eating as well. Like you've got to ask for someone to pass yep. something and yep. got to reach over people. Yep. And, yep. You know, like each of those interactions is forcing you to have, you know, a conversation yep. or a physical contact or something. Yep. It's, you know, it's almost like it's taking you to the table of social contact, right? Exactly right. And that's, that's where the best memories are. We, 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 our Sunday lunches would be, We'd get home. We we'd go to church as kids, which is really nice when we, when we're growing up. Um, and then we'd go play backyard cricket. So we had this big backyard, and we'd play for like three hours, three hours every day. The, the, my my dad and my, my my two brothers, and then we'd sit down as a family every day, every Sunday, for like two two hours. We'd have a long lunch, uh, and that's that never really changed up until. Um, Probably when I moved overseas, that was the first time that we weren't eating together every Sunday as a, as a large family unit. Yeah. When the Herald's um, food critic, Terry Durack, wrote up the opening of your first restaurant, he, yeah. talked about, um, he talked about you growing up in Sydney taking curried lentil sandwiches to a Vegemite-only school. Yeah. And I thought that was such a uh, kind of classic picture of yeah. every new migrant that I've yeah. ever spoken to yeah. coming into this totally white bread Australian yeah. culture as it was yeah. at the time. What was it like for you? I was watching a movie last night, actually. I was watching The Wog Boy um, and his story and him sitting there at, as a little kid bringing out the big, the big, all, the, all the, the, the meats and the bread rolls and the things like that and kids laughing at him and, and saying stuff. And I look back at what I would do and when I used to bring out the, the sandwiches, people were like, oh, that stinks. Oh, what is that? Oh, like... And it was embarrassing. It was super embarrassing. It was super. It, it was tough. It was tough because you wanted to be. You wanted to be white. You wanted to be what they have. And and now I look back, and I'm like, all right, I wanted like peanut butter sandwiches. Like when I had the most decadent spreads in the. Uh, and just, everyone wants that now, right? Yeah, yeah. It was the, it's now the cool thing. It was not cool back then. You're so confident now, and I was yep. saying at the start, you're so self assured. You walk into rooms, and you're you you feel comfortable. What was it like then going into school, you know, um, feeling like you were an outsider, feeling like you didn't have the things that, you know, at that time it's so important to have the yep. stuff that makes you fit yep. in, right? Yep. How, how did it feel? It, it's, it's sad that you lose your identity. Um, do you know, to be embarrassed to – I have a big beard now, but when I was 14, 13, I had, you know, the dirty little – Mustache, and you know that was I was one of the first kids to get that, and it didn't look nice, and I didn't, you know, you, you kind of felt brown, and you didn't feel you were cool, and and that kind of gets to you because you're trying to fit into this culture that you don't, and then you you don't fit into your your Sri, your Sri Lankan culture as well because you're very Westernized, so you don't really you don't really know where you stand, and you you don't you don't have your identity and as, as a 13 14 15 year old you, you're tr- really trying to find your identity you're really trying to to find who you are and that's really awkward years of your life anyway even if you do fit in um and when you don't it, it, it's tough and i suppose that's what makes you stronger and i look back on it and i, I look back on on those years and kind of the names that were called or or the things that would happen and and you know, it was it was sometimes it was funny jokes all the way through to some serious kind of guys pulling over in a car trying to beat the shit out of you um, and calling you the most offensive names possible. And that that that's when it can get pretty scary. 
I think that there's the concept of what we would refer back in the day that doesn't happen anymore is that casual racism that, oh, that's just an Australian kind of casual race. That, like that, that's changed now, which is good, but that would hurt you. It'd hurt you because you, you, why well, you'd still laugh about it. And I suppose that's where you find humour. You find humour and the, the ability to be self-derogatory because if you lean into it and you make that first blow or you, you, take, you take away their, their armoury, which is the words that they can say to you to hurt you and you, you use it against and, and you start that conversation, then they've got nothing. Uh, I suppose that's where we start to really get into that concept of, of, of being able to, to make a joke of yourself because that was the protection that you needed to, to make it less hurtful because they couldn't say anything. Yeah, I'm so sorry to hear that, man. Yeah. And, and I know you, you're saying that things have changed so much, but at the same time, we're seeing this whole story play out around Stan Grant's treatment oh, right this yeah. week, which is yeah. uh, just shows as much as things have changed, there's, there's still a long way to go yeah. uh, in terms of um, the uh, relations between races and, yeah. and the way that we work as a society. A, yeah. a lot of that is playing out still. Yeah. Yeah, I sat next to Stan on a plane one day randomly. Um, I was sitting down next to him. And he was one of the most nicest gentlemen I've ever, I've ever. Um, and to, to hear what he's going through, that, that that's rough because he's he's such a gentleman. He's such a good dude. No, I didn't even have a conversation. But he holds himself with with such really beautiful nature and a beautiful energy. And and I, I don't know. I, was just, I read that. I read that, and I just went, man, that that hurts because he's just a human being, and he doesn't deserve that. No matter. No, and he didn't do anything, not even if, he, even if he did. No one deserves to be called names or no one deserves that in this day and age. They're just doing their job and they're just, they're just being a good citizen. And it's like, yeah, it's shit. Yeah, I 100% agree. And, you know, he's a titan of Australian journalism. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, the fact is if he was white, he would be treated yeah. very, very differently. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I want to focus on you, though, yeah. here, Sean. Um, you went off to high school. You went to Hulston Ag yeah. High School. You were a school prefect there. Yeah. You um, left with a very high TR, yeah. you know, did well in ancient history, um, and then went straight into a commerce and finance degree at university. Yeah. Why do that? You know, was that something that you saw as your path forward from there? Where I really remember is was my brother was going to his first interview and we went to the city he i would have been 11 at the time catching the train to the city we lived in the western suburbs and we got the train and yeah he was wearing he actually wore a bugs bunny tie i don't know why he wore a bugs bunny tie to his first interview he got the job he went in with my mum this is how my mum went into the job interview she never knew what a job interview was so she took him in and we walked through the city and I saw these guys in suits, these power suits, and I saw the way they walked and I saw the way they talked. I'm like, wow, I want to be that. I want to be that guy. And that's when I like, I, I got, and then when we went to school, Matt's, I was okay at it um, and went, well, okay, cool. But maybe that's where, where I, I want to be. And when I started to enter that world, it, it's, a, it's, it's lucrative, you know, it's very interesting. And um, and there was, I suppose, there was a global nature to it. There was a, there was a, there was a large scale nature. The numbers that were going through were were, were billions. You know, you were talking about billions of dollars. It was unreal, um, and that was quite that was quite fun for a while. Um, and I think what it meant was it, it looked like a future. It looked like there was there was stability, and it looked like there was power and things like that. And I suppose it was it was a bit of an ego thing back then. Uh, it was also you know, you got you got things that most people didn't get. Again, coming back to to the way that they you you, you kind of were able to have these this money that you know, we never grew up with that stuff. Never hear it. Um, it was it was it felt good, but it didn't. Once you started to realise that back then, you know, we're talking what 15, 15 years ago, maybe more. I don't even know how old I am now. Yeah, more than fifteen years ago. Um, the the world wasn't for us. That that wasn't for us. That 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 place. You got that feeling working in finance. I got told it. Tell yeah. me, tell me about. I that. got told it. Um, I remember reading a CV. I was I was hiring somebody, um, and the name was last name was Ha, um, and a beautiful young girl, you know, from Cabramatta, um, and they said wrong side of the bridge. Wrong side Seriously, of the bridge. I grew up five minutes from there. Yeah, they said no, no, not not for that. They the, the names they were called. Oh, we used to call Tamil Tiger. 
Um, wow. You know, like you, you hear a lot, I mean, in the conversation at the moment, people worrying about unconscious bias. Yeah. You know, and, and that is a real, a real thing, you yep. know, like just ruling people out without even really thinking about it, just seeing yep. the name. And, yep. But that, that's really a conscious decision, that was, right? This was very conscious. And they'd, they'd, they'd call you names. They'd, 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 they'd reference you, you, you know. I said, my, my, my grandfather got killed by the Tamil Tiger Man. Can you not call me that? And that was fueled to them and they loved it. They loved it. They loved, you know. Um, that the fact that I was brown, that I was the only brown guy on the floor, um, and they just yeah, it was it was horrible. It was it was not it was not an environment that would make you feel that you could progress, and not an environment that made you feel that you were welcome. And I always think about it uh, as fuel now for me to make sure that. People can walk into those rooms, that those rooms are accessible, that those rooms are open, that when we're going in there, that they're going in there and saying, no, this is the place that we are doing it. And, and my, my cousins, the really high up in, in, in some of these, the, 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 you know, the banks and stuff like that, and what he said in his tones, and I've been working with BlackRock recently, um, they're one of our big, 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 big supporters, and what they're doing is black, black people in finance groups and, and, and some global movements to allow people of colour, First Nations people, um, access to these rooms and not just tokenistic access, um, but career pathway access. And that's what, so yes, we could, I could get in because my name was Sean Christie David. That's how I got the interview. Um, Wow, that is so interesting to unpack that, isn't it? Yeah. I hadn't even thought about that when you were saying that story. Yeah. The first interview I went into, the guy's like, because I was a removalist when I first got out of school. Um, I did that for like, you know, part-time work during the first semester of uni. So they said, oh, Sean Christie David, a removalist. And then I walked in, they're like, they actually said Sean Christie David. I said, yep, me. And they're like, looked at, looked at the piece of paper. The double-barreled um, name. Yeah. Yep. And I went, Sean? I'm like, yeah, that's me. And they're like, we did not expect you. They flat out said it. Wow. Um, my brother's name was Danuk Christie David, which changes the way that he was seen. And he was lucky enough to be able to get a good recommendation for his first job. But... It, it, you can see that the, the, the name bias is, is it was unbelievable. And the way that my I can get access because my name and my voice is so different to someone who might have just moved over from Sri Lanka, um, but the exact same culture and the exact same... It's, 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 yeah, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> interesting is the word, John. <laughs> um, look, Norman Swan's a household name now. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's after the past couple of years and his role in the COVID response, you know, I, there would probably be not too many people in the country who don't know about yeah, him. Yeah. Um, but you came into his orbit, I guess it's uh, about a decade ago. Yeah. Um, how did that happen? How did that come about? Yeah. Norman Swan, good dude. Um, I, I remember looking when I first got back from the UK, so I was back in the UK, I was looking for a job that had purpose behind it trying to really find something that that i resonated with and i'd done a bit of work with the nhs i would spent two years with the nhs watching i was doing the automation project with the nhs so health kind of was on my on my radar and i saw this job ad which was like the most bizarre job ad in the world it was i don't even know what it was called now partnerships or something and I read it and I was like, this is what we want to do. We want to change the way that people see their health. We want, you know, we want to get into preventative health and we want to talk about communication, you know, and get better out- health outcomes. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. Um, and I remember going for this job interview in this really bizarre little studio in Ultimo. It was, there was one person there um, and Norman. Um, and and um, I think his daughter was there at the time, Georgia. And we had this interview. I'm like, this is bizarre. Like, it's such a weird concept. Um, and this was, like, the first kind of time that it had happened in Australia, this, this, the digital out-of-home kind of space. Um, but digital out-of-home done in a way that was really kind of groundbreaking. And what he did was this really smart movement, which is, like, if you're going to go see your GP and we tell you what to talk about when you go to have that conversation, you can actually change the way that you structure that conversation and the, the more structured and better your conversation is with your GP the better health, health outcomes you get I'm like whoa man that's really smart and he did a lot of work obviously he's a very intelligent man with a lot of evidence behind him and what I really liked about him was was the concept of evidence-based kind of thought processing and 
utilizing that for the best. So I had this really beautiful conversation with him. Um, he's like, this is the salary. I'm like, man, that's probably 30% of what I was on. Um, but I'm with mum and dad and I'm, I moved back home. I just got back to Sydney. I'm like, you know what? I can take a risk on this. Uh, why not? I mean, and then <laughs> we, 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 we started the, the tonic, tonic at the time, I think it was called tonic TV. That was, I was the very first dude outside the, the, the one guy that he had hired, which he, I think the other guy lasted about three weeks. Um, and we started this concept of TV screens in medical rooms that eventually moved into possibly one of the coolest things I've ever worked on as, a, as an employee. And, and that started a, a revolution in my mind around the way that Indigenous communities own their health story and, and the way that you can use people from communities to talk to each other. And that moved into what we call the Aboriginal Health Television Network, which took years to develop. Was that the focus of those five? You know, you were there about five or so years. years. Was that, were you working on that all the way through? Or was it something that gradually emerged over that time? Yeah, so it was was a very, very chance meeting. Um, I went into Redfern Aboriginal Medical Service and there was this, the, 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 I don't know what her job title was, but she was like GM, for example, of, of the medical service. And she was awesome, Karen, Karen Silver. And I sat down with her. I'm like, hey, Karen, like, this is what we've got. And, and she's like, look, I love this. Like, this is really, really cool, but it's not for us. I'm like, oh, well, all right. And I love to know why. Like, it was very much like, oh, why is that? So this was about a year and a bit into to, to the role. Uh, and she's like, look, it's all white people. And she goes, and, and they have a lot of respect for Norman. And she goes, but he's white. Um, and again, it's just white people telling us what to do. I'm like, oh, yeah. Penny drop, right? Yeah. I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? She's like, and she threw, she did a throwaway comment, which was a joke to her. And I took it really seriously. Um, and she's like, well, do, do a black channel and we'll, we're in. I'm like, okay, great. And she goes, no, 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 I'm joking. I'm like, no, 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 I think that that's actually brilliant. And if you don't mind, will you support me if I was just to look into this? And she said, yeah, 100%. And that started the, the huge undertaking that we went down, which was creating a really beautiful um, Indigenous kind of council of all the health leaders across Australia. Uh, we work with the National Aboriginal Centre of Controlled Health Organisation, NACHO, and worked on a federal level on this. And we, we got all the Indigenous communities to kind of to, to, to really shape what we were doing and to create our own version of Tonic, which was yeah, AHTV. And it was a way... So every, every screen had its own media player. Therefore, you can t- t- tailor content down to a, remu- a remote Aboriginal me- medical service. And that power, but also the power to cross-share. And I've always seen it as a way to cross-share success stories. So, great. In far north Queensland, we've got huge levels of um, vaccination rates or we've, we've, we've dropped smoking rates by this or we've done this and we've done that. And we're living longer and we've, we've got this. This is our success story. Let's share it with the Tasmanian community or let's share it, with, you know, share it across all of all the 200 Aboriginal medical services and, and use this as a way to celebrate, but also to keep language alive. And I saw that the, the ability for languages to be kept alive through having language on screens in a center where everyone goes to and that was that was deeply powerful so it took three and a half years the way you presented it sounds like it was a really simple process but i can imagine (laughs) there was a lot of crisscrossing the country a lot of false starts along the way yeah yeah i mean when you're talking about severely remote and desolate areas where they have you know one hour of power and you're trying to get a, an update on that. Um, there was no internet. There was no power. There was no this. There was no that. There was, you know, there was t- times that we're taking TV screens on boats on out to islands uh, and things like that. So it was, it was, it was, in, it was, it was, it was fun. It was challenging. But what I learned very quickly around, um, again, this is coming back into who I was. Was I have no idea what I'm doing, but you do, and asking the communities to really come on board and, and shape the conversation and shape what it was. We were just facilitators for what people were asking for in the community and then going, my, my fortunate kind of ability at the time was to have a platform that was pretty cool 
um, and then working with people to be able to tailor it. So that was that took a long time. The the, the federal government and, and, and Minister White at the time really backed it, but it had to have the buy-in from everybody. It took a long time for us to figure out where we stood as an organisation, um, but most importantly, where all the where, where all the independent medical services stood, and where the national peak body for for Indigenous health stood, um, and how do we get all the voices represented in the right way? And that was that was where. We spent a lot of our time uh, and making sure that it had authenticity, that it had the voices, that it had the local content, but it had the national messages that needed to be shared as well. Uh, yep. so it, you know, it seems like the kind of project that you could have sunk your teeth into and spent an entire career on. 100%. But just as it went live, you walked away. Yep. Tell yep. me about that. It wasn't for me to do. It wasn't my channel. I'm not Indigenous. Um, and while I have... Uh, you know, great, great Indigenous friends and things like that. That's not that, that, that's not my space. That's not who I am. Um, and it needed to be run by a, 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 a young black fella um, who we were lucky enough to to kind of jump on board. Someone that had strong advocacy, someone that had strong community ties, someone that had, you know, great legacies of doing social justice and social change and this was a, this was a platform to create change uh, it really was and, and I remember leaving it was it was Norman had a very deep conversation like mate this will build your career for good this is something that you know this is this is this is the one like you know we're talking about federal government federal government kind of concepts and 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 and, and having a really strong kind of great relationship with all the indigenous elders and, and things like that and it was, it, and, and, and probably if I'd stayed there, it would have been a lot more successful and, and maybe doing different types of change. But it wasn't, it wasn't authentic and it wasn't me. It, 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 I, I'm, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I walked away. Um, I, I stayed on and, 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 and mentored the, the Jake who came up and still there, running the platform really, really well um, for, for a while so that the handover was good um, and that we could really... Um, get the relationships that that kind of built nationally for, for him. But it was it was it was his channel or it was the community's channel. It was it was it was Far North Queensland. It was it was WA. It was it was everyone's channel. It wasn't a individuals. Um, and it really again and and where I'm moving to in my kind of career now or what I'm doing is is, is for me to step away from what I'm doing now as well. Um, I believe that pathways need to be created for people and and there needs to be change. And there needs to be constant innovation. There needs to be constant, you know, um, different idea, ideas. So my whole role is to make myself as redundant as possible, as quickly as possible, so that people could follow in. Um, that's what it's about. You left there. You joined another, you know, not-for-profit raise yep. foundation, yep. Um, raising, you know, building support for. Um, intervention mentoring programs for young yep. people, yep. partnering with the likes of Salesforce and CBA and others, yep. and I can see how that sets you up for some of the work that you've done since. Yep. But what I want to ask you about is I want to step into actually the stuff that you're doing now. Yeah. Colombo Social, it appeared with a real bang. Yep. You know, um, It felt like you couldn't escape it in the city. Yep. When did the idea first come to you to do that? The idea of food and beverage has always been what I've loved, um, and I think that as a as as the son of my parents, <laughs> um, and uh, the son of my grandparents, you referenced it before, is that we were always had loud music. We always had loud parties. We always had we'd have hundred people over at our house sometimes. You know, some some would never even know that they're coming. Mum always would have food ready. I don't know how she did it. Like I don't know how she did it, but there was spreads every time. She wouldn't go to the shops. People would just drop in. Like we were the we were the house that you'd just drop in at. Um, and know that there was good food and like uh, the food that mum created was was unbelievable, especially on the budgets that she had. Um, so I think that always kind of, and I saw how happy people were when they were eating. I saw how open people were to new kind of cuisine types and it doesn't mean they're only from Sri Lanka, they're from all over the world and I saw that growing up. But it was when, I remember we were pretty hammered one day at my best mate's wedding and my, my, my best mate passed away unfortunately, but um, we, we, we were quite young when he got married. Um, because he'd 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 got a terminal diagnosis, and he's like, "Man, I'm I'm found my found the girl that I want to spend the rest of my life with. I don't know how long that's going to be, but I'm doing it." I'm like, man, we're 23, but I think we're 22, 23. I'm like, "All right, man, like, I'll support you." Yeah, it's good to know that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, and the girl that he married, we we he went to school with as well, and we never talked to her. I'm like, "What? You got you're marrying her? 
Like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, she's lovely. I mean, never seen the two of you together, but if that's what it is, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in for this. So we went out, had the wedding. It was a huge day. You know, you was probably our first mates getting married. So it was a big deal. And then there was, there was obviously the, the heightened emotion and, and things like that. Um, and I'm like, everyone come back to my house. We're going to kick on at mine, have some beers there. So we, we go back to, to my parents' house. You know, everyone was living at home at the time, except that some of the guys have moved overseas. Some of the guys have moved into state. So we're like, all, all go back to my house. Or I'm crash like, at your place. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And we're on our way. I'm like, mum, we're coming over. And she's like, okay. It's like two o'clock in the morning. I'm like, um, can you cook for us? And she's like, yeah, of course. Get home. There's food. There's spreads. And I'm like, where did you get this? Like, anyway, and I think she had 20 minutes or half an hour to make. We're coming from Parramatta to, 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 to mum's house. And she had this. And everyone's like, this is unbelievable. And you don't, again, this is where you, the, the, the kind of moments where you go like, Oh yeah, but this is what I know. It's all like this. This is just normal. And like, no, no, this is something. And and my mate was from school who who I set up Colombo with. Um, was like, dude, there's something in this. He was working. He was working um Bondi at, at all these venues, and he's like, mate, there's something here. I'm like, oh yeah, cool. And then it kind of brushed it away till till I returned back from the UK and uh, saw that the dining scene in Sydney was 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 great. Um, but there was not. And everyone would ask me. I remember always through 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 wherever I was, uh, people were like, "Oh, take me to Sri Lankan places. Take me to some great Sri Lankan food." I'm like, "Oh yeah, we got to go to Tungabi. Come to my, my mum's place. Yeah, come to my mum's place." And I always take my. I remember it's like second date was always my mum's house, and they're like, "What are you doing? Like, well, you want the Sri Lankan food? Like, you got to go here." Mum's like, "Can you not?" Bring girls over all the time. I'm like, oh yeah. She's like, I don't know who they yeah. are. Wait, like, wait until they're locked in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't even know who they are. Ma. Um, uh, but people would go either there, or, you, or you'd or you'd want to take them out to like Strathfield or Tungabi or things like that. But that that wasn't who we were. That wasn't me. I wasn't freshly arrived from Sri Lanka. I'd been here, um, and there was no places to go. This is the the first generation. Um, and that means fusion food, and that means cocktails, and that means hip hop, and that means that means loud music and and a fun vibe, and 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 nothing traditional about it, but super traditional at the same time, because that's who we were, and that's what I realised that 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 what I wanted to do was to to create a safe space to be a migrant, and you didn't have to be Indian or Sri Lankan or Bangladeshi, you could be Iranian or you could be wherever you're from, and know that. It's actually quite cool to celebrate a culture that is what we all share, which is a, a real deep tie and connection to mum's cooking, a mum's cooking. I think, that, that, I think everyone craves nostalgia and, and that beautiful mum, uh, but also a, a take on it where it's like, oh, this is what I'm so familiar with, like a taco, like roti taco, you know, or or a, a, a take on, on a classic ceviche, which you, you'd go and get your traditional, like, you know, your, your Peruvian ceviche, and that, well, this, is, this is a Sri Lankan version of it, things like that. So how do you include that with a cocktail, which is where, where we really want to get to? You opened the first restaurant in November 2019, yep. which must have felt like the end of a whole bunch of work, but in retrospect feels like the start of a whole bunch of crazy yep. um, with COVID just about to hit. You know, I was saying before, you had to be one of the one of the hottest openings. You know, mm. we heard about it across the media. I was saying before, Terry Durack yep. wrote it up in the Herald. Yep. You know, and in a city that loves hot new places, you yeah. know, it was right there, <laughs> poised for success. Yeah. And then COVID came along, yeah. lockdown mandates came in. What was it like that day, that day when they came in? And, you know, th what came afterwards? Oh, yeah, it was brutal. Um, we'd, we'd, we'd employed people seeking asylum. And we, you're a small business, right? You're a small business. That's all you are at the end of the day. Um, doesn't matter what you're what you're serving doesn't matter what your what your what your product line is you're a small business and a small business gets to know everybody really really deeply what we had was the additional layer of understanding a little bit of the trauma of people's backgrounds and understanding a little bit about their family history and while we never asked you just kind of get to know people and they'll tell you something that's like oh oh that's that's sad or that's 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 hard to hear or um, and then I remember it was a Sunday and you, our Saturday nights, when you talk about like being, being busy, it was, it was insanity. 
what our Saturday nights were. You'd you'd have lines out the door. You'd be turning tables. You'd have you'd, every seat that could be possibly there was filled, and people were waiting for it. Um, you know, you, you can only dream of this stuff when you start. And you're like, we had no restaurant experience. We, had, we didn't know. It. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, we had no brand recognition. No one's like, oh, this guy that's, you know, celebrity chef's opening this restaurant and it's got to be the hottest <laughs> new opening. It, we just kind of went into that and it was like, what? <laughs> like, I remember my mum said, visualise lines out the door. And I'm, like, that would have been a dream. And, like, at one point, it was actually a nightmare. So, like, how do we, how do we cope with this? Um, but it was the best thing ever. And we were having such a great time and people were loving it. It was, it was, it was getting good reviews things most talked about restaurant in australia for three months in a row and then we got told to close um and i, I walk in and i think oh you you know you're gonna just have a chat to all your staff and all your staff are gonna be there and it's gonna be like you know like at the end of each service we'd kind of have a beer and things like that and we were kind of taking again no one knew what was going on so we we're taking split shifts so i would do one day um someone else would do like another manager so we were kind of de-risking as much as possible this kind of concept of getting sick and getting this COVID thing. Um, and I walked in on the Sunday and I just burst into tears. Like everyone sat there and they, they, they gave you everything. They backed. Because we'd gone through a long training process. We'd gone through a long period before we even opened of, of getting people in and, 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 and taking them on this journey with us. And, and we knew them. And they, some of them had never worked. But a lot of them had never worked in Australia before. This was their first job. This was everything for them. Um, and they saw you as this kind of person who was doing something that, that no one had ever given them a chance to do. Um, getting that first break, oh, yeah. so crucial, right? Yeah. Like yeah. you've got skilled people or, or not skilled in some yeah. cases, yeah. but everyone wants experience. Yeah. You know, everyone wants some, some way of validating their, yeah. their you know, um, them taking a risk on the person. Yeah. And that's really hard to do if you're oh. if you're an asylum seeker, particularly. Yep. But even just as a new migrant, yeah, or anybody, even yep. eighteen year old finishing school or, or whatever it is, there's so many people that don't get that chance. And and we'd had a lot of them, and and it wasn't like okay, cool, we know you're going to get a job anywhere else, and you're going to be safe, and it's all good. Or we we knew that at the time, people seeking asylum were, were left out of benefits. We we knew that people weren't getting the things that they deserved. We knew that they were. We knew that they didn't have family to rely on. They had no one here. They didn't come from, they didn't come from large families that they could just go and stay at their houses or, or if things turned bad that they could just go back to their country even. So you, they couldn't go back home because home wasn't safe for them. And we knew that as soon as they stepped into the door, a couple of them would have, would have been thrown into jail or, or, or worse. Uh, so it wasn't your standard operational model where we go, okay, cool, just it doesn't matter. It really mattered. Um, and I, I, just saying those those words and, and, and saying I don't know what I'm going to be able to do, but I've got you. Like I got you, uh, and it was yeah. We 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 closed on on Sunday, and we did some things maybe by by I would love to say by by luck or or by skill by skill set definitely wasn't skill set. Um, but we came under budget for for what we did, and that, I think that's my my ethnic tight arseness is, 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 is looking at everything. Um, and we did a lot better from our projections than we did. So we had some, a little bit of money in the bank when we kind of went into COVID, which, which kind of was really lucky and it was allowed us to do what we did. But we, we paid everyone to stay at home, people that, that we weren't sure if they're going to get Medicaid benefits. And if they got sick, we didn't know how bad it was at the time. No one knew what we know now or we were flying blind. Everybody in the whole world was flying blind on this concept. And, and we said, you got to stay at home. So we paid we got everyone to, to text us how much it costs to stay at home for a week. Um, food, groceries, rent, um, anything. And they just text us a number and we said, cool, that's what we're going to put in your bank account every week. Wow, that's huge. Because we know that you, we needed to, to, to be there for you. Um, so we were just paying people just to stay at home because um, that, that was a sole, sole income per people at, the, at their house. And without benefits they they what was going to happen to them was really really shit what would have happened if not um we 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 really let down i mean not just asylum seekers not just refugees but yep. Yep. everyone who yep. wasn't a citizen yep. really got pushed out right international like, students go the back, home the backbone of our society yeah i think we really saw like in that time just yep. how yep. crucial they are yep. to the operation yep. of hotels restaurants bars yep you know, like 
a huge amount of our, um, particularly the hospitality sector, yeah. just really struggled and yeah. limped by without yeah. them. But now we're seeing the effects of th- how much they bring to the GDP and how much they inject and, and how much tourism and how much international students and how much people from all over the world actually put into our economy. Yeah. And if we had that now, our and economy would be a lot better. But I don't blame people for going, well, screw you guys. You weren't there for me when I needed you. Why would I be there now? And it was, it was, it was, it was pretty, pretty rough for, for so many people and the, and the fear of, of what the uncertainty. And I look back on it now and I go, okay, well, maybe it was, a, you know, but we were very fearful. Um, so that was, that was where the, that kind of thing started. But then why, why I always like to talk about the, the Aboriginal Health Television Network and, and that kind of deep work that we're doing in, in the community there and, and through some of the, the programs that we'd, we'd, we'd been looking to start through Colombo Social was people asked us for help. People asked us. People felt that they could. People, people had known me for years. Um, and we talk about my mum and we talk about how we grew up and we talk about what, what was going on and, and how she would show her love was through food and she'd just give people food no matter what. She'd always make sure that people were fed. Even at 2am. Even at 2am, especially at 2am. Um, and we just started to give food away. We started to give food away to, to, to people who were asking for it. It was, it was, I remember Mission Australia, Common Ground. Um, we gave food away to, to Redford AMS. We gave food away to the to, to, to Department of Community Justice. And, and we then started to get phone calls from, from many, many people. We had 25 organizations i think in, in in after three weeks who were asking us for food from two dudes who just had this little restaurant to therefore creating operational foods food plans for delivery and 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 trying to take food out to communities navigating lockdowns and navigating don't police permits and navigating um, how do you drop food off in a food safe way with masks and no one can touch each other? And it was insanity. How many meals are we talking a week? Thousands, two, three thousand meals a wow. week. From, from <laughs> we, 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 I don't even know how we did it. Like we look back on it, we had one little one little laneway kind of backdoor access where you could only have certain people coming in and out, and you know we had to check things. And we had fine dining chefs come in. We had Nelly Robinson. We had the guy who now heads up um, Bistro Nineteen Thirty Six or, or whatever the Capella Hotel. He's the head chef there. We had him. We had my team. We had uh, like all these people that were really really. Great, just wanted chefs. to help. Chefs, yep. yeah, we'll, we'll pay them. Yeah, right. We'll pay them because they would they were left out. So amazing. You know, Nero was Nero was great, great lad, and really liked him. But he was an international. Uh, he was Kiwi, and they they stopped his benefits. They, they, he had nothing. Um, all these guys that we employed, but all the people that were left out of society, and all the people that were left out. So anyone that we that was there, we said, all right, we're going to pay you to do this. This was our money. This was this was at this point, this was just all our money. Yep. Um, and we just did it because it was the right thing to do. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was, I look back at it, I'm like, man, that was some wild times. It must be, I mean, it just sounds incredible. And I, I think like stepping back a, a step from this, you know, you're working with, um, you're working with asylum seekers, yep. you're working with refugees, you're working with new migrants, yep. and you're working with a much more diverse community across some of the operations that you're expanding. Yep. And some of these people probably come in with great skills, yep. and some of them probably have never even worked a job in yep. their lives. Yep. And you've built the whole infrastructure to bring them up to speed as well, yep. which I think, you know, you rock up to Colombo Social or Kabul Social or um, Koyoakan Social or, you know, some of these other places and you wouldn't even consider that infrastructure that's sitting behind these things. Yeah, that's, that's the beauty of the organisation. Um, and as we're, where we're going to is, is scale uh, and there's reasons why we're scaling and that's, <laughs> I'd like to say it's not ego, but probably it's a little bit, um, but it's the financial stability to support the back office functionality that is needed. Now, with a traditional restaurant, 
you get experienced people, they go in, they cook food really, really well, they serve food in a great way, they've got this standardised sequence of service that they know this is where, like, everything's done and it's beautiful and you, you kind of go out and you go, that was an incredible experience and it worked like a, an orchestra. Everyone knows their part, the guy that plays the, the, the trumpet knows the trumpet part, the guy who knows the triangle will go on ding the ding and then that everyone knows it. This is completely the opposite. This is just people that serve food at home coming in there and going, no, 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 we're going to run a restaurant with you. And that service model is completely different. Everyone's on top of each other. So what we've had to do is had to build robust training programs. We've got a course that everyone goes on for, for introduction to hospitality that is agnostic to the Plate It Forward brand. This is to ensure that they've got longevity. We've built programs on, we're working on this really, really deep course now, which is your first job. Um, so what is a tax file number? For people that have never had tax file numbers, these people out of school, these people out of jail, these people for, that, are, that are first in their country, whatever it is, like, what is, a, what is superannuation? What, how do you, contra- so we're doing all these financial literacy models, we're doing all these introduction to work models, we're doing punctuality because people from all over the world sometimes don't have the same levels of punctuality because they Just have a different experience yeah, of time, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, island time or whatever it is. Um, so we're building that as a model. We've got, I've got a guy who has 20 years of Indigenous kind of um, youth advocacy and support work um, who worked at a Glee for 20 years. He's my dude that I just said, he's my wellbeing manager and his whole job is just basically to see if everybody's okay. He gets paid to see if everyone's okay. That's it. Hey man, you okay? Cool. What's going on? Um, we've got tra- We've got a, a beautiful, if you've ever gone to Colombo or you've gone to our website, you'll see this girl who's who's been with us for, for years of her very first job at the age of 18 um, has worked up and up and up through Columbo Social and and kind of tapped out there and she was about to resign and she I said no you, you're going to be my head of training so she heads training for the whole organisation for everybody across our things we've got all these we've got all these other costs and that come into it and you, you look at your, your standard traditional ratios in in hospitality that you got your your 38 percent labor and your 22 percent this and your our labor costs are you know exceedingly high because they're just disproportionately high because no one knows does does, does they don't have the same levels of skills and we also know I was, you know i was looking in your annual report before this mm-hmm. and i was amazed to see you know actually salaries of the workforce as being not just a metric that's reported in the annual report but is actually celebrated, celebrated. as an impact metric celebrated we want all of our and 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 we're 90 percent community members as well so it's not just where okay cool we've got high labor costs you know we're 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 we're, we're disproportionately represented there because that means training to people that means support to people that means the wider community is getting supported that they're doing stuff outside because they've got high levels of empathy so that's that's our key metrics is how many people from the community are we employing how many people are moving up because i think that there's this kind of concept in 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 numbers that go okay cool We've got a large number of people and they're staying stagnant. That's not what I want. I want to see the, the people moving into roles and guys that start off as our students are now into management positions. The guy who started off was with us was recovering from addiction, now heads up a kitchen where it's all people recovering from addiction. And that's where he serves food daily to, to 40 people that he kind of was in and around in, in a previous life and now he's their kind of role model. Um, there's people who have stayed... There's, there's nothing like seeing someone like you, right? Exactly, exactly. You know, like that is the ultimate encouragement. Yeah. Like yeah. I can actually do this, right? Yeah, exactly. And you'll see you, you reference Kwe Khan Social and, and Raman who was a dude who I just met randomly at a festival um, when he was cooking. He's now kind of my business partner at this and when we we sat down and we, we we kind of started speaking around why he's doing what he does and the and the and the things that he's doing in mexico and the, the work that he's doing over there to tell people my journey was this now i'm feeding you i'm supporting you but i've also got my business and i've got out and i'm, I'm clean for 20 years and i'm i'm now able to be in a position to be able to support people the same way that i was supported and those are the things that we want to be seeing we want to be seeing not just success stories of, of and, and look, there's going to be people that just want to go home at the end of the day and work and have a job and that's it and that's great and I love that and 
you know that that's amazing that we can support them in that in that way and wherever they want to go but for people to be able to realize that no one has got the in the job that they're in has ever had that job before but to realize they can do it that they've got the support to be able to get up there and we've got a, a person who's again another role within the organization is just career pathways building and to make sure that they we're, we're seeing what they want to do and then building things around them so they get into where it might be outside our organization it might be inside our organization whatever it is but they're getting there and that's where we, we you know this is a this is a long game uh, uh and this is a generational game and i am lucky because mum and dad were secure they had income they had stability they had they had the means to be able to send us to the nicer schools and and the things like that we want that for our workforce as children so that they go i'm going to school every day and i'm going to school full with food with with support with care i'm able to do this and you know we've got young girls who are who are having their first children now as and they've left us and they've they've gone they had their children we're, we're, we're working with their them to make sure their kids are you know good then you know imagine in 20 years what you know if i could do this with with whatever limited in, like intelligence I have, which isn't a lot, when these kids go out there and do this, and their parents have been role models, their parents have been like the head chef of this 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 kind of cool restaurant, and she was just cooking at home, and now she's that, and then they get to go to school, and they've got really successful people that they're looking up to as their their ambassadors. This this is going to be this is the story that that, that what's going to happen with the plate at forward staff and their children that that excites me we're sitting inside uh kind of almost an empty shell you know yeah. it's like it's a restaurant and a bar that you know had a past life and yep. you're going to reinvent it in a few weeks um yep. there's going to be a big announcement to come yep. that you can just feel the potential of this place yep. and hearing you talk about that not just the vision but putting in place the infrastructure to step people through careers yep. Yep. that get them somewhere that yep. is not just life-changing for them and their children, but really um, society-changing for us. Yep. Uh, it's really inspiring. I'm really so appreciative of you taking the time to talk about all of this with me today, Sean. Oh, it's it's been incredible. Um, that That's all the questions that I've got for you, um, yep. aside from three super quick questions that yep, I want to run by you. First up, I want to ask what's keeping you up at night right now? The growth, the scale. That That's keeping me up as an individual. I think what's keeping me up is is where the world's going to economically in the next the next six to 12 months, or where we're, where we're gearing up is to ensure that we've got the stability to fund the meals that will be needed in a year. And we've got security and a surety that in a year, if things aren't to be amazing, um, and the people that we support and the communities that we support with the food that we donate 3,000 like meals a week, that we can be able to be funded for that and that we can expand that in case it's more needed. Who else should I be speaking to? In terms of? On this podcast, who else should I talk to? People who are making things happen in this city, people who are doing creative things that are, you know – contributing to the public good making our city better yeah whoa that's a great question i i've been recently sitting down with the boys from butter uh and their revolution on sustainability and hospitality yeah I'm, is, i've been hearing a lot about those guys yeah they're 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 wild crazy cats yep. some of the, some of the most insane guys i've ever met which but they're so passionate i uh, love the way their places you know i've heard it described as almost like like the Hopeton in Surrey Hills for a for a current generation, like the place where everyone wants to hang, the yep. centre of the music community, but also yep. food and culture yep. and all that. Yeah, what they're working on in the background, um, outside of butter, on on the kind of sustainability and environmental impact that that we're having as as humans is 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 groundbreaking. I think it's one of the most revolutionary things that I've I've, I've kind of come across in 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 someone just people so passionate about it and what they're working on is 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 there so we're jumping on board that project in a, in a huge way because sustainability is is multiple things sustainability we're, we're, we believe in sustainability through people but there's also sustainability through the environment there's sustainability through longevity whatever you want to call it um and and understanding what your role is as, as a better citizen um is 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 really exciting so jump on I'll get, meet those guys they'll, they'll 
they're, 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 they're funny and, and, and charismatic, but super intelligent. Love that suggestion. Sean, last question. What gives you hope? People. People. Our staff. People. Um, knowing that customers are coming in every day because they know they're part of something bigger and they're part of a social change and they're coming in because they want great food and great experiences, but they want to be part of something bigger and they want to use their discretionary spending or they want to use their voice and their money or their time or their resources to create a better world. That's what gives me hope because we are actually really good people. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sean. Thanks, mate. Um, There's so much we didn't get to talk about. I would have loved to have got into the catering work that you do, um, more on activity social, the training program, you know, actually unpacking the restaurants, you know, Koyak and Social, Kabul, Colombo, the others, what what you're working on there. There's so much to it and uh, way way too much for, you know, an hour or so that we've had together. But if people want to want to check it out is the best thing for people to do just go to a restaurant go to a restaurant yeah you get to feel it um jump onto our website which is getting rebuilt now um or watch our socials for some is of that the played at forward played at uh yeah you'll you'll hear some announcements probably in about three weeks around what we're working on that's the big one and we're super excited to to bring stories and people to us through dining can't wait for that next announcement. Um, but in the meantime, there's plenty of places to check out. If uh, This was pro- produced and hosted by me, Matt Levinson. If you haven't heard the previous interviews in the series, I really recommend you dig in. Um, the last one was with Megan Loder, um, one of the founders of FBI and Double J at the ABC. You know, I'm still thinking about that interview. It was raw and hilarious at times and, you know, really deeply insightful and I highly recommend you dig back into that. Um, Others are with Jess Cook, um, Sasha Coles, Lee Tran Lam, Lynn Dang, a stack of awesome people with amazing stories. Um, And I reckon if you like this one, you'd probably find it pretty fascinating. Let me know what you think. I'm um, Matt underscore Levinson on Twitter and Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, And if you like what you've heard, uh, please subscribe and let me know what you think. I might have a story for you.